Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today we have a show that I've actually been thinking about and talking about for a while. Got a good buddy of mine on, uh, Jordy Clark, who I met last year and just really excited to bring you this episode and just really get into his background and what they've built. Jordy is probably one of the most unassuming, humble guys, yet is a real estate rock star and an investment rock star as well. And I've just really had a privilege and honor uh, getting to know him. And so Jordy, thank you for being on the show. Oh man, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Well, let's dive into the questions and I feel like I could probably answer some of these questions for you, but uh, let's do it. So if you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, really just just sticking with one thing. Um, and I mean, you and I were chatting about this before, but it's so easy, especially in today's like social media age to see somebody doing something really cool over here or over there. And you're like, oh man, like, you know, that person's making a ton of money over there. Like, I'm going to go do this, or, you know, this looks really cool, or I'm going to go do this. But, uh, you know, I think it, when it comes back to it, when I look at where I've made maybe the bigger advances and, you know, investing or business or whatever, it's, it's been when I was just focused on just one thing. Love it. Cool. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? That's a good one. So, um, I was 20. So let's see, 11 years ago. Um, and as, as part of my religion, we, they offered the opportunity to go out and, uh, basically spend two years helping other people in various parts of the world. Well, I got assigned to Antofagasta, Chile, which if you Google it, there's like, it is in, it's in South America. If you look at South America on like a map that shows color, not just a regular map, but it's, it's the one big brown spot in South America. So <laughs> it's the most arid desert in the world, believe it or not. Um, they do a lot of mining down there and basically I was sent down there. I didn't know Spanish before and having to go through living and struggling through figuring out how to speak a language that I didn't know how to communicate in. Um, you know, I'm 20, so I'd been to a few years of college, but nothing crazy. And so this is maybe my first real opportunity outside of the nest, you know, at college, I lived off, uh, on campus and, it's just different when you're half a world away. You can't call, you can't, you know, communicate with loved ones very easily. And, um, you know, we had certain parameters, but just being able to push through that and figure out how to speak Spanish, communicate with people, and then, you know, intimately get in their lives and see how we could help them and just influence change was 
it was really good. The, the setback came in the first nine months when I couldn't speak the language, right? There were so many times where I just wanted to give up, where we were out, um, uh, we called it uh, proselyting or just knocking doors, right? And you're speaking to someone who's fluent in Spanish and you're, you have no idea what's going on. Um, really, it taught me that I can do anything. I can learn a language. I can go and speak to people who, you know, you're knocking on a random door. So um, I, I just learned so much more about myself and, and who I was, um, which I think is a pretty formidable time too, when you're 20, 21, 22. So greatest setback was probably not knowing Spanish and having to figure it out for nine months. Nice. Yeah, it's challenging. It's crazy. What is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? This one's easy. It's buy real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, I, I kind of look at it like it, the way our system is set up, it's so interesting, right? Because everyone goes to work, gets a paycheck. You know, maybe they contribute a little bit to their 401k. And the, the dream is to retire when you're 65. And the reality is if people maybe changed their paradigm a little bit and just bought one rental property a year, Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be very long before the equity's grown, the debt has been paid down, you know, tenants are paying off mortgages, and you could accelerate that if you wanted to, or you could give yourself more options. You know, if you're just looking at socking away 500 bucks or a thousand bucks a month in a 401k, it's going to take you forever to build up a nest egg of a million or two million. Mm-hmm. Versus if you bought one rental property a year for the next 10 years all of a sudden your tenants have built up millions of dollars for you. So that's, that's the one piece of advice that I'm sharing constantly. You know, I, I love that. And it, we'll, we'll get into your background, which I think is going to, you know, solidify some of this. And I might even ask for some of your opinions because um, we're in that day and age too, where I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Um, but I am, I am getting curious around, you know, different people's different viewpoints. But the fact that, you know, your piece of advice is buy real estate. I was talking to one of my clients the other day that I coach one-on-one and, you know, he was talking about how it's really hard to find a deal. And he had found this house that was like 200 grand and he was going to need to put $40,000 down, but it only cash flowed like $3,800 a year or something like that. And I was kind of like, it kind of sent me back a little bit because, you know, I think a lot of people are, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to any of this, but I think a lot of people are, you know, thinking they're going to get into real estate and real estate's just going to be like, you know, we're going to cash flow like 50 grand a month and we're going to quit our jobs and all this stuff. And I, you know, I told him sometimes it takes a little bit of reframing. Cause like you just said too, there's an amortization piece and there's a depreciation piece. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't buy properties that don't have good cash flow, but also like to make three or $400 a month off of a house is not a horrible proposition. I mean, so I'm curious if somebody's going to buy a house for 200 and they got to put 40,000 down, what do you think about a $4,000 return per year? So that's, that's roughly a 10% return, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, they're also probably not looking at the debt that's getting paid down. So normally I'd tell someone to get a fixed rate, either 15 or 30 year mortgage. Um, probably 30. And then if someone wants to pay it off early, they can. Um, but you know, that property's probably getting paid down 
uh, another three or 4,000 a year, at least in the first few years, right? Um, but then there's also tax benefits and you can leverage your money. So if the market or uh, uh, inflation, right, appreciation, if that goes up by seven or 10% a year, then, you know, you get to keep 100% of the upside. So if, if you look at it with, you know, the four legs, I, I kind of see it with tax benefits, uh, debt pay down, you've got appreciation and uh, it, it hedges inflation, then it really is probably a way better return than just 4,000 bucks a year because he's probably picking up another four in debt pay down. So that's 8,000. And then if that property appreciates, we'll call it 5%, that's another 10,000. Plus, he's getting some tax benefits, and it's somebody else's paycheck paying the property off while it's going up in value. Yeah, really. If you look at it, that's a fifty percent return in year one, with some very modest assumptions. Yeah. Well, and there's so many people right now that are you know stuck in analysis paralysis, and I like told this guy, I'm like, well, you're you're also going to be you know two years or three years down the road and still haven't done a deal, and like you said. My goal when I first got started was one, uh, two income producing properties a year for 10 years. So like my big, hairy, audacious goal was 20 properties. And, you know, I, back then I was targeting, you know, two properties a year. I was thinking if they could cash flow $100, $150 a month, that's kind of where I had my sights set. And I just feel like so many people are, and maybe it's because there's so many gurus out there talking about how amazing and easy real estate, it's not easy. Um, and let's use this as an opportunity to shift a little bit because you've been really successful in real estate and, and people like you make it look easy, but you know, Karen, I've been talking about this lately. It, it isn't easy. Things don't get easier. We get better. And that's how you make it look so good. But I think sometimes people listen to the gurus and they're like, Oh, you know, I just got to buy a hundred houses in two years and it's not that easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the real estate is, you know, all the books purported to be passive, but it is far from passive, right? You, you got to deal with tenants, you got to deal with roofs, you got to deal with a million other things that could happen. But at the end of the day, do I, would I rather own something like that and deal with maybe a little different headache or save 400 bucks a month into a 401k for the next 50 years and maybe have enough money for retirement? You know, I love that point that you just brought up, just circling back too, because how many people will take $4,000 and put it into a 401k and not even worry about what the return is. But the minute they start thinking about investing in real estate, they're like, oh, a 10% return is no good. And I'm just like, what is wrong with this? Like, it's almost back to the mass psychosis thing. Like we've just been, as long as it's in the stock market and part of our 401k, we can just set it and forget it. But we're going to have all these unrealistic expectations when it comes to real estate or investing in business or whatever. So let's go backwards. Um, let's talk a little bit about your portfolio. I want to hear how'd you get started? Yeah. So um, I got started, let's see, right after my wife and I got married, I was working at a bank as a loan officer. And we, I would say we were doing what most other kids our age were doing, going to school. I had a full-time job. Uh, my wife, Courtney, had a full-time job and, you know, we were just trying to make it work, right? We had car loans, we had rent. Um, and I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I was like mind blown. And I kind of had a mentor, so I kind of feel like I 
skipped maybe 10 or 15 years and just collapsed that that time frame down. Um, but he was like, hey, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I read it and I was like, whoa, man, I got to do this. So I went out and got my real estate license because I thought I needed to get that to save myself a commission when I bought a rental property. And at the time, I was actually working two jobs and going to school full time. I was working as a valet at the Grand America and at the bank. So I got my real estate license, quit the bank, still valeted the uh, the Grand America in Salt Lake. And then I was still going to school and I'm like eight classes away from a bachelor's degree. I dropped out because I was looking around and all of these people were talking about job offers they were getting. Let's see, this was 2012, no, 2014. They were getting job offers for 50 or 60,000 a year. And I was a real estate agent just helping other people buy rental properties because that's what I wanted to specialize in thanks to Robert Kiyosaki, right? And uh, I'm making six figures. And I was like, why am I going to school at nights? We just had a, our daughter born. And I was like, why am I going to school spending all this money? I'm making more, twice as much as these guys are, you know, coming out of college with job offers. Like, why don't I just do this real estate thing? So I kind of jumped in there and we bought um, our first property that we lived in. And we also bought a rental property. I self-managed it, made every mistake in the book. They were housing tenants. We accepted cash. We let them walk all over us. They never paid on time. They just made our lives miserable for 18 months. And I finally just said, I'm done with this. Right, I'm going to sell it. Pains me to think of what I sold it for. Uh, um, but then there was three years where, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't buy a rental property because I, I, I just burned myself out by trying to be, you know, the self-manager and save a few bucks on a property manager. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, um, I had just seen, you know, I was selling people houses in 2014 for 90, a hundred, dollars that were now worth 250 at the time, a couple of years ago. Right. And I was like, man, I really should have bought one or two of those and just like had a property manager deal with everything. Like should have done that. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to do it. Well, the problem was, uh, we were living above our means as most real estate agents probably do spending more than we made. The money was coming in in chunks, but just, I wasn't good at managing it. So we kind of had to go on this path. I call it going from a spender to a saver, then to an investor, right? Like that's kind of how I view the path that most Americans have to go through because we're trained to be spenders and consumers. So um, we kind of went the Dave Ramsey route, paid off all our bad debt, which we definitely needed to go that way. And then we started saving some money. Um, and then I just started plugging into more podcasts and figuring out how we could do it better the second time. So uh, we started flipping houses. And with all of our profits from our flips, I would just take that and I'd say, OK, I've got this money. I'm going to go buy a rental property with it. So I'd go and buy a rental property with it. So we'd flip two, we'd buy one and hold it. Flip two, buy one and hold it. And, and fast forward a couple of years later, uh, we've got 32 doors um, and we've kind of hit like that level one financial freedom, right? Like our mortgage could be covered by cash flow. 
from our properties. Um, and some other just normal bills, right? But it's not like, hey, I could go do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. Still working towards that. Nice. So, uh, tell me a little bit more about the flipping business. Are you guys still flipping houses? Yeah, so we we currently have four flips going currently. We've got one on the market. Uh, the other three are being rehabbed. It is great to get big chunks of money. It is not great for taxes. It's a lot of work. Uh, it's literally like a side job for me, a side hustle. Um, and, and we're working to kind of transition out of that and flip less and hold more um, for a couple of reasons. I just, I think nothing's going to get less expensive. I don't think we're in a bubble, frankly, because you have to qualify for all your mortgages. We may see a pullback in the market on prices, but um, I mean, I, I, people are always going to need somewhere to live. So what is, let's, let's dig a little deeper on that. What is your, you say, you say we're, we might see a pullback. What, what are you thinking? What, what's going to happen here? So, so I struggle with this. I'll, I'll just be a hundred percent transparent. I feel like I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where half of me goes, no, we got a five year, like this is going to be the best five years in real estate. And the other half of me is like, no, like prices are going to level off. Rents are going to level off. Um, you know, we possibly could see prices come down. You know, we're in a bubble. The world's going to end. So I'm kind of caught with this dichotomy. Um, and, and I don't really know what's going to happen. And, and the more I talk to other people like you and you know a bunch of the guys in GoBundance, and we're all in the same boat, right? If, if we're headed towards a recession, like we're headed towards a recession. So I, I'm just trying to play really good offense and buy good properties that I'm going to be okay holding for the next 10 to 15 years. I don't believe in the, you know, you buy a property and never sell it because I think life changes, circumstances change, and you know, you, you got to be okay to pivot and do what you need to with your portfolio and even your own house, right? Like I don't believe in the forever home. Mm-hmm. Just, life changes. Yeah. I agree with that too. So buy real estate still. I still think you should buy real estate because in 10 years, even if the market goes down 30% next year, someone's still paying that asset off for me. Hopefully it's still cash flowing. Um, yeah. Some repairs and expenses might come up, but if you look at how our system's built, it's built to have a two to 3%, you know, inflation every year. So you look at a 10-year period, it's 20 to 30% of the value of the dollar gets diminished. Well, real estate's a pretty good hedge because it's a bunch of sticks and a bunch of bricks and everything put together. So I I think in 10 years, it's still going to be worth more than it is today. Everyone that I've talked to that's older that you know bought their house 30 or 40 years ago that tells me they paid 60000 for their house their first house, at least, I say, well, what do you think that house is worth now? And it's always 10 times more. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you can go wrong buying good quality assets at a fair price. I agree. I'm, I'm curious too, like when we, when we talk about this too, like, you know, I'm thinking about, about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I'll never, actually the first podcast I was ever on was Buck Joffrey's podcast. Um, I think it's called the wealth formula. And 
he named that show uh solving uh one of the basic human needs is how he and we talked about maslow's hierarchy of needs and at the bottom of that pyramid is uh psych the physiological food water warmth and rest shelter um at the end of the day like there's there's so many things that as we move through the hierarchy of needs that don't actually from an investment standpoint don't make any sense shelter is one of them that like to your point i mean no matter what people need a house to live in and so i'm curious back to your question though you said hopefully it cash flows any advice around like how are you analyzing all of this because i agree with you in the sense that um you know if there is a correction and my asset decreases in value if i wait long enough it's going to come back up most likely right mm -hmm. uh, so how do you how do you weather that what would your advice be so that's a great question. I've never, my portfolio has never weathered a downturn, right? So I'll preface it with that. And also this is not financial advice, um, but what I'm doing is I'm keeping at least three months of all my payments in reserves in cash. Kind of gives me hives to do it because I look at how much inflation we're having and I'm like, oh man, this is a lot of money just sitting here doing nothing. But it's not doing nothing. It's it's an insurance policy if something ever happened, right? So if I've got, we'll call it three to six months of reserves um, for all of my properties um, payments, mm -hmm. including taxes and insurance. And then I've also got six months of my personal living expenses. If half of my renters stop paying, I can probably weather a good six to 12 months, right? And what's the probability that half of my tenants are going to stop paying and lose that shelter that's on the first level of our hierarchy of needs, right? Probably pretty low. Could it happen? Totally could, mm -hmm. right? Um, is it likely? Probably not. Yeah. But I would rather keep that cash kind of sitting aside, doing nothing as an insurance policy that we can ride through whatever may happen. I like it. So- that's personally kind of what we're setting up for and, and how we're playing defense right now where no one knows where the market's going. And it, it just seems like it's insane. You know, and this is easier said than done, but I've found myself saying lately, especially because, you know, prices and what if, um, rather than sitting on the sideline and doing nothing, um, you know, maybe just think about, you know, what if you had to pay that mortgage? Because you're in a situation where you have 32 rentals. And so, you know, you're thinking about it from an insurance perspective, half, but same principle. If you go buy a rental, I was literally talking to a girl that's taken the, the real estate accelerator course that I'm putting on. And I'm like, you know, are you comfortable if you had to make this mortgage payment for three months, four months, six months, while you find another tenant, are you comfortable with that? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And so, you know, I've, a version, it's the same version. You're talking 32 rentals, um, being able to, if half your tenants aren't paying, but same thing, just thinking about, you know, what would happen worst case scenario? I'm talking to another guy recently that is looking for a short-term rental in a, in a ski community. Same question. Okay. So you're projecting based on, you know, certain market rents in a ski community. Are people going to keep skiing? I, I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know, I'm curious to your thoughts on this. Um, if there is some form of correction, where is money that's been on the sidelines going to go invest? They're going to be like, oh, you know what? If there's a dip in the Park City market or a ski community market, there's probably going to be some money that comes in there and takes advantage of that too. So 
you know, can you exit it? I don't know. I mean, depends on how much money you put down, but I think some of that's just talking about, you know, how conservative are you on your down payments and, and your risk level thoughts? Yeah, that and how good you buy properties, right? Because what I've seen is, and you know, this doesn't happen as much in the multifamily space, um, but with single families or, you know, like condos or something in a ski town or something on the beach, just because the market's really good doesn't mean that everybody is selling at insanely high prices. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, there's death that happens in family, there's divorce, and there's other distress that can happen on a property like a tenant could totally, well, how about this? I'll, I'll give a person an example. I bought a property at auction, meaning it was a trustee sale or a foreclosure about a year ago. I bought it and uh, we did not believe the tenants were actually tenants. So we tried to evict, we lost the eviction and I had to hold on to that property for a year and it was a little bit of a negative cash flow. And I sold it at a discount. I could have like sent our crews in there just to, you know, trash it out. They were hoarders um, and just get it cleaned up. Totally could have done that. And then I could have, you know, flipped it and made a retail price. But I was so emotionally over the property mm-hmm. that I just called up a couple friends and I said, dude, what would you pay me for this? And I sold it at like 65% of what the after repair value is or what it's worth all fixed up, mm. right? That's a deep discount. Yeah. And Salt Lake is one of the hottest markets in the nation right now. Um, you know, we had a 20%, 28% appreciation rate last year. There is no housing here in Salt Lake. Um, I think in the entire state, we have like 1600 active listings for a population of 3.2 million people. Four years ago, we had like 10,000 and our population was like two and a half million. So we've got record number of people coming in. All of this to say, like, I fire sold a property because I just didn't want to deal with it. And those types of deals are ironically the ones that I like buying. Yeah. You buy it. uh, In fact, I've got it on uh, this license plate right behind me, right? Burr. You buy it, rehab it. uh, You put a renter in it. And you refinance it and you repeat. I love it. I so that that's how someone could cash flow in today's market. And that's how I'm buying most of my properties. It's cool. I love it. Question. What's one recommendation you would make to someone listening if they feel trapped? Oh, that is a good question. I would say keep doing what you're doing because you're, you're listening to different podcasts. Um, go on maybe a self-development journey and figure out why you're trapped and figure out what your path is to get to where you want to go, right? Um, And it's probably way easier than you think it is. Because a lot of the times we get stuck in our own feedback loop or just talking to ourselves where, you know, we're on Instagram and we see everyone's highlight reel. And then we go and we see all of the bloopers of our own life, right? So don't compare your blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel. I love it. What does freedom mean to you? That one's easy. Doing what you want, when you want, with who you want, wherever you want. I like it. (laughs) What would you like to be free from? That's a good question. You know, when we hit like level one financial freedom, it kind of feel like it took a weight off of our shoulders. 
and it gave us more options. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm personally just working towards a greater level of that. Um, it, it also just offers more options, right? Like uh, if, if we have a loved one that needs to go to an assisted living facility, well, if I'm broke and paycheck to paycheck, then I, I can't help them out. Mm-hmm. But if I have an abundance and, you know, I've got cash flow coming in, well, I've got the option to help them live a higher quality of life, right? So really free for me just means more options, right? I like it. And I mean, I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. So I, I, I don't, I don't want, you know, freedom from a W2 job that I hate because I've kind of created over the last 10 years with my wife, created a life that I enjoy waking up every morning and coming to the office and doing what we do. Gosh, isn't that what really just matters? I love it. Yeah. Okay. So one last question, and then we're going to talk about the next phase. Actually, that's not true. I'm not going to just ask you one last question. I'm probably going to ask you a couple. So who's had the greatest impact on your life? Yeah. So my dad, um, I grew up, I'm a contractor's son. So I grew up framing houses and doing stucco when I was 13, 14. Yeah, I probably wasn't helping much now that I look back on it. Um, but he he taught me work hard, um, be honest in everything you do, and just overall work hard. <laughs> taught me a great work ethic. I like it. It's good. Taught me a lot. So you keep talking about level one freedom. Do you have some kind of framework around different levels of freedom? Because I've never heard that. Oh, you haven't? No. That's interesting. No, you know, it's probably something I picked up somewhere along the way. Um, you should you should coin that shit because I've never heard that. <laughs> Dirty sure three, some, levels of <laughs> three levels of freedom. Oh, there you go. I'll coin it. Um, you heard it here first. Yeah, there you go. Testing for Freedom podcast. Is there a level two or is it just? I, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, like, like I said before, level one is kind of like you're your basic bills are covered from passive income. Mm-hmm. Uh, level two maybe would be, you know, you get some lifestyle that's covered in there. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple vacations a year, a second home on the beach or, you know, a big RV is paid for that you can travel across the country in. And then, I mean, the pinnacle, the actual, you know, what I think is financial freedom is, you know, you, you have, more money coming in than it would cost you to live in a year um, passively mm-hmm. that's, you know, just reoccurring revenue streams. I like it. Because then, like, if you, um, if anyone's ever played the board game Cash Flow, love that board game, yeah. really, you're, you're just trying to meet your basic needs as you go around the board. And then once you meet that, then you kind of get to play this bigger game where you acquire businesses and bigger real estate. And like, for me, that's where the the game gets really fun, right? Because now all of a sudden, like, yeah, you could go buy a yacht or you could go buy, you know, a park or whatever. So I love it. It's good stuff. So progression, flipping houses was your side hustle. You guys own 32 rental properties. You also are, you run an active real estate team, right? Yeah, so our uh, real estate team is 
very small but powerful. We got me, two other sales agents, and then two admin. Um, and we sold 70 properties last year. There was about 35 million in volume. Nice. So not too bad. So what's next? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm going to continue to kind of build up my real estate team. It's really cool when I've got guys working for me that are, you know, hitting goals and making more money than they ever thought possible. Um, so just building that up and giving a few more people opportunities there. Uh, in addition to, we'll keep building our rental portfolio. And uh, I've, I've partnered up with a buddy of mine and um, we're going to raise some capital and go out and start a fund to buy homes here in uh, Salt Lake County and really just be able to provide better returns than you could probably get elsewhere, um, risk adjusted anyways, and uh, just help other people achieve financial freedom. So um, I'm also getting ready to launch a podcast here in the next few months um, and just working to help more people get free. Nice. Is that podcast going to be called Third Level Financial Freedom or what? Oh, man, I'm struggling with what to call it. Um, although that's not a bad idea. I, Yeah, I haven't determined it yet. So if anyone has input, I mean, feel free to give me some advice. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, good stuff. So if, if uh, anybody's interested in reaching out to you, I love what you're doing because you know, you and I have talked about this so many times. The hardest part about real estate is, you know, deal flow and getting the right deal done and all of that. And so I think it's cool for somebody like you that really knows your market, you're entrenched in the market, you get to look at a lot of deals. So that whole idea of launching a single family fund, you know, a lot of people don't think about this, but one of the best ways to get into the investing world is with somebody like you who already understands the market. And I know your partner um, personally as well. So if somebody would like to invest alongside of you, and I'm guessing they need to be an accredited investor, how do they find you? Yeah, great question. And, and they do need to be an accredited investor. Um, the easiest way right now is probably just follow me on social media. Uh, so on Instagram, my handle is at Jordy Clark underscore REI, like real estate investing. Um, follow me there on Facebook. You can find me just Jordy Clark. So probably the best way to get a hold of me and yeah, go from there. Cool. Sounds good, man. Well, it's been a ton of fun and um, I've really enjoyed just getting to know you over the last year, year and a half and um, look forward to much more. So appreciate right. you. Likewise. Thank you. Yeah. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.